Yes. And can you all hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. Hey. Good afternoon, everybody. <laughs> yes, let us know. Let us know if you can hear us. Let us know where you are joining us from. And we are so, so glad you are here. Okay, sounds like you can hear us. Okay, a little tip about Crowdcast before we get started. If for any reason we freeze on you, the best thing to do is refresh your browser from your end. Um, that usually clears it up. If not, kind of go out, come back in. If there's an issue with us, then we'll we'll try to handle it on, on our end. I'll try to handle it, but um, we'll be fine. So welcome, welcome to our August Empower panel called Answering Your Body's Call. We are so glad to be gathered here today to talk about this. Um, our Empower panels are an opportunity for women to come together from all over the country to discuss topics that don't usually get a lot of airtime. Um, things that people have questions about, we pull a lot of it from the Facebook group, things that people would like to talk about more and hear about more. And we have such a wealth of knowledge and experience within our 9-1 Wonder Woman group that um, it's been so great to pull people together on these different topics. So I want to give a huge thank you to our sponsor, Datamark, who makes all of this possible and allows us to bring this to everyone free of cost. Um, you'll be able to watch this on demand on Crowdcast. It'll just be hanging out there for good. So this particular topic is about chronic illness, disease, chronic pain in 911. We know this is a profession that has a lot of stress and a lot of demands on you physically and mentally. And for people who do suffer from chronic illness, disease, or pain, it can be even harder and the job can exasper exacerbate it and even cause it sometimes or cause it to activate. So we're going to talk about uh, a couple different experiences that we have all had with chronic disease or illness. Uh, please feel free to comment in, in the comment section. I'm going to kind of step back here after the introduction and I'll try to monitor. There's also an ask a question feature at the bottom there of your screen. You can click on that and submit questions that way. We'll try to get to all of them because we want this to be a discussion and we want to be able to answer your questions. So um, I'm going to start off. We're all going to introduce ourselves, give you a little bit of our story. My name is Sarah Weston. I'm the founder and executive director of 91 Wonder Women. I'm also a consultant for Next Gen 91 Systems. And my journey with chronic illness started actually when I was pregnant with my second child. Um, I started getting horrible vertigo attacks and throwing up and I just thought it was being pregnant and I was like okay just gotta get gotta get through this pregnancy and, and everything will be fine well then when my little guy was about three months old it happened again and I was like oh crap this is something else so I was diagnosed with Meniere's disease about four and a half years ago now it is a disease of the very inner ear, it causes ringing in the ear, it causes hearing loss, and it causes the vertigo spells. 
So if you're ever around me when it's noisy, and I know a lot of you in the comments have experienced me in person, um, and you're talking to me and you're standing on my left side, a lot of times I have to go like this, what did you say? And kind of throw my good ear at you because especially like at conferences when there's a lot of background noise, I have a very hard time hearing. I love using headphones like this because if we're on a Zoom call, I kind of sit, I can sit there like this because, you know, speakers only go so loud. Um, so the hearing loss is a thing that uh, really causes me issues day to day. But the worst part is definitely the vertigo. Um, I was at Navigator this past April and I was leaving the venue, getting ready to go home. And I saw Sarah in, <laughs> I saw Sarah in the lobby um, on the way out. And if you've ever been to a conference, it's just, it's very hectic. It's very stressful. You don't get a lot of sleep. You're usually eating different things. For me, I was drinking more than I usually do. And I was having a conversation with Sarah and then all of a sudden it was like someone punched me in the face. I fell to the ground, Sarah broke my fall. And I just, it was, I knew what it was immediately. It's just the world kind of spins around you and there's nothing you can do. You just have to wait for it to pass. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's 20 minutes, sometimes it's three hours, sometimes it's an entire day. And I just never know. So anyway, um, I'm so glad Sarah was there and people were kind of swarming around me and and saying, call an ambulance. And I was like, no, 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 I'm fine. I just need to lay here on this cold floor for like 10 minutes. I was like, just give me, just give me a moment. And it was just, um, that was probably, it's not the first time that it happened to me in public, but it was, um, it just felt like a very public place. It was so open. There were so many people that I knew there. And my first thought, you guys, well, I had two thoughts. One, I was like, maybe I should just go on the ambulance so I can get some rest, <laughs> which we all know that being on ambulance is not restful. So <laughs> but my second thought was, oh my God, what if someone saw me? What if someone saw me, you know, which is silly. Like, why was I worried about people seeing me or finding me out? I was like, I hope no one finds out that I did this because it just it's it's a human thing and it's a thing that so many of us experience so when we talk about it and we share our stories that's when we can get rid of that shame that we feel mm -hmm. about things that we cannot necessarily control and about doing the things that we need to do to help ourselves and because mm -hmm. sometimes that can feel shameful as well so that is the reason we are here today. This is going to be a two-part series. So whatever we, we don't uh, finish up here today, we're going to be doing next month as well. So um, keep that in mind as, as you're sending in questions. I know Sarah has um, a poll that uh, she's constructed to, to ask you all questions kind of in between the two. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Sarah Pagel, let her introduce herself, and she's going to be moderating the rest of the panel. So thank you, Sarah. My pleasure. Oh, I'm so excited to be with you, wonderful women. It's such a privilege to, um, to use my voice and to use my lane, as I like to refer to it, um, in a way that hopefully um, brings healing and restoration and ultimately vitality back to the front lines, because I am, as 
a friend of mine likes to call me a retired dispatcher. So I did spend a couple of years in the radio room. So I really do understand the price of this job. And prior to dispatch, I was out in the field as a law enforcement officer. So I really, really viscerally understand the toll that this this work and this chronic stressed state that we're in um, takes on our bodies and our minds, truly. Um, so I'm really excited to be with you guys today. Um, and Sarah, it was, I'm, I'm really thankful that I was in that space for you in that moment. Like it, I felt honored to be protective of you in that moment because you are such a treasure and you're so, um, really, you're so really very important in this community. So, um, to be a support to you in that moment really was a privilege to me. So thank you for trusting me in that moment. I know it was kind of like, you didn't really have a choice in that moment because it was going to happen whether you wanted it to or not. And so, but it, it really was a privilege to be with you in that vulnerable space. Um, and that's kind of what I do. I do um, a lot of that one-on-one -on -one and individual and group kind of um, creating a space where it's safe to talk about what's actually happening in your body. And so I'm really excited to um, get to know these lovely ladies here in this panel and um, kind of unpack a little bit about what some of the stressors um, look like in our bodies when we work the front lines. And so um, I'm definitely here to answer any questions, and I'm really excited to um, hear these lovely ladies' stories. So, um, Mary, why don't we start with you, because you're right here on my screen. So, <laughs> well, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and um, let us know a little bit about your background, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay. My name's Mary Shireman, or Meredith Shireman is my legal name. Most everybody calls me Mary, so you may see me as either way. Um, I started dispatching in 1991 as a, a fire dispatcher at a very small local fire department, and I was there for two years part-time, and then I switched over to Willamette Valley Communications Center, which is in Salem, Oregon, in the middle of the Willamette Valley. Um, we dispatched 29 agencies across three counties, police, fire, and medical, handling the 911s as well as the non-emergency calls. Um, I went from an agency that had I think I went for two weeks without dispatching a call once to an agency mm -hmm. that if you went an hour without a 911 call, it was almost unheard of, even in the middle of the night. So it was a huge, huge change. Um, I was there for 28 years. Uh, 20 years ago, I became a shift supervisor. So I ran the floor anywhere from nine to 14 people, depending on our staffing. Um, those were optimum staffing levels. And mm -hmm. of course we weren't there very often. Um, and I retired in April after 30 years all together and so I'm still kind of switching gears and figuring out who I am um, regarding chronic issues I started having migraines when I was three or four years old and I'd have them pretty routinely um, as I hit puberty they became worse um, definitely related to my cycle I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis when I was about 12 to 14, somewhere in there, which was unheard of in the early 80s. It was very, very rare. Now it's, everybody has it. The treatment has not changed. In spite of going from nobody has this to everybody has this, it's still here, throw some medication at it. Um, I also was diagnosed about the same time with polycystic ovary syndrome, which probably had a huge impact on the uh, migraines because they seem to, like I said, fit with my cycle. And that led to anemia, severe anemia throughout my 20s and 30s. Um, mm -hmm. And then into my 40s, 
my body switched again and I started having high blood pressure out of the blue. So basically a malignant hypertension is what it was called. So a different type of headache. Um, and I suspect that a lot of women deal with really difficult cycles every month and mm -hmm. we just deal with it. If there were days that it feels like you're being torn in half, um, the headaches would be so bad that I couldn't see out of one eye and I would slur my words. And that would be the point where I'd be like, okay, I probably need to go home because my callers are gonna have trouble hearing me and understanding me. Mm -hmm. um, more than once I had to call for somebody to come pick me up to take me home because I couldn't drive because I waited too long. But, you know, I didn't want to not stay yet. I knew there were times that I couldn't. And I'd always, you know, my lines in the sand would be if I'm vomiting or if I'm running a fever, I cross those lines more times than I can count just because, um, you know, there's a sense of guilt that goes with taking care of yourself. And it's, mm -hmm. it's tough because being a supervisor, I understand the feeling of, oh, wow, now I'm short staffed and that sense of responsibility. Yet at the same mm -hmm. time, I recognize that if I can't see out of one eye and I can't speak clearly, I can't help my callers and you have to find that that line and it's very okay. difficult to find and be comfortable with because you keep wanting to push yourself um the anemia aspect that went on for years and mm. it makes you dizzy it makes you cold you can't think and i can remember driving into work one time and i was crossing the bridge and i realized i wasn't in the lane i wanted to be in i knew mm. it wasn't the lane i wanted to be in and i could not figure out how to get to the correct lane and I thought, this is crazy. I need to be at the doctor's, mm -hmm. not. And she actually wanted to put me in the hospital by the time I contacted her because my my uh, iron levels were so low at that mm -hmm. point. She had got my blood work back about that time. And yeah. of course, you know, being who we are, no, no, I'm not going to go to the hospital. <laughs> Tell me how, to, how you want me to do this. So, but, you know, and we are a stubborn bunch. Yes. We are, we are, we don't want to, we don't want to let down our coworkers, but at the same time, we let mm -hmm. ourselves down by not mm -hmm. recognizing what we need. And it's, it, mm -hmm. I think it's changing. I've watched it change. We're a little more responsive to the needs of people versus the suck it up buttercup attitude, mm -hmm. which is what we had for years. Um, mm -hmm. I mentioned yesterday when we were, we were chatting a little bit, um, a couple of us, and I also have anxiety and depression, which came probably very slowly throughout my 40s. And I discovered that when I retired, the anxiety is almost completely gone. So I know the anxiety was, mm -hmm. it was job related. Mm -hmm. And I think it had to do with that sense of responsibility of, I have to run this shift no matter how many people I have, no matter how many people have called out sick or how short staffed we are, doesn't matter how I feel. And there are days, you know, now I look back and I think, how did I even function? Mm -hmm. And the doctor's mm -hmm. quote, which we've all heard, is you did it because you had to. You didn't have another choice. And we do so many things because we have to. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I, I recognize that COVID knocked me down pretty hard. I had it more than once mm -hmm. and it left me with a lot of side effects. I have asthma now that I didn't have before. You know, things like that. And I realized, you know, I am eligible, eligible to retire and it's time for me to retire. My body mm -hmm. says it's time for me to retire. Mm -hmm. and, and I miss it. Um, 
and I'm still not figuring out who I am yet. It's still early days, mm -hmm. but there are moments that I really, really miss it. And, but I know that this is what I needed to do. And not everybody's to the point where they can walk away mm -hmm. from it. And that's right. the hard part. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Thank you so much for sharing your journey, Mary. That's um, it. Sarah, this uh, to you and to Jana and to Dominique, I know that you guys are going to share your, your journey too. And it really takes um, a lot of courage to be vulnerable and to share um, something that makes you feel vulnerable, right? When our health is compromised mm -hmm. and we can't show up the way that we want to, the way we know we're capable of, um, it, it it's a scary thing. And then um, to then share that with people is an even scarier thing. So uh, you all get a high, A plus and a high five today for sharing, um, <laughs> for being vulnerable and showing up to this community and leading in this community and say and showing how to do this. So leading by example. So um, thanks for sharing that, Mary. And um, yeah, and you just touched on a lot of things that um, Sarah, I think we should maybe do a conversation about the female cycle since we are nine one Wonder Woman uh -huh. and how our cycle um, is impacted by stress, which is yeah. definitely a topic that I can, that we can explore um, that probably is going to be relevant in this community. Um, and yeah, and you talked about that suck it up buttercup mentality and that is something um i was raised by a boomer and a builder um so my dad was born in 50 i'm sorry my mom was born in 50 and my mom my dad was born 41 and so that was very much the mentality right there wasn't space to share it to, to sit in your feelings or to sit in weakness quote unquote right there just wasn't like you you had to get up and pick yourself up by the bootstraps and keep going and um, I think that it's a really incredible thing that the people who have gone before us in, in the industry and outside of the industry um, have kind of paved the way for us to be having a conversation like this, where it's like, hey, we can validate each other that um, there are stressors in this job and this job, the stressors that are in this job do have this chronic impact on our health. Um, and so, so yeah, um, thanks for sharing. And um, I love that this, I'm hopeful um, that this conversation will be the start of really shifting. And Sarah, what you've done with Nine Wonder Woman has been shifting the the conversation away from suck it up buttercup to, hey, let's just be supportive and tap into this feminine energy that really is organically supportive. And um, we don't have to be like the boys. We're not the boys. <laughs> and mm -hmm. they bring something beautiful to the table as well. And so, but we can bring what we offer to the table and um, create an environment where we can have these conversations and um, create a grace-filled environment. Yes, Sarah, having the conversation, that is what mm -hmm. this is all about. I feel like some of these things were taboo, like talking about our cycles, like what crap mm -hmm. is that? Like, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. I, we can so, have babies, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Boys can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> My four-year-old still thinks he has shot of an egg, but we can discuss that later. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, this is this what these what these are for: having the conversation, realizing that you're not alone, and and moving forward from this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and I do want to, you know, I joke about oh, we can have babies, and and infertility is definitely something that is a is a real thing too. So I don't want to dismiss um the yeah the the pain and the realness of what happens in that space 
And um, that's definitely a part of the conversation. You know, if we do end up kind of exploring this cycle, this female cycle within the context of 911 and how chronic stress actually really does impact our body's ability to reproduce. Um, Because when you're in fight or flight, your body doesn't care about making babies, period. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely another component of it. But I do want to validate that space too. You know, I can laugh about, you know, oh, we can make babies and we can. Um, And there is, you know, that is a real hurt in the community as well. So. All right, Miss Jana, you are in my the next square on my space. Um, so I would love to we'd love to hear from you and, and some of your stories. So tell us who you are, where you where you are, what your background is, and and your health journey. You guys don't even know where I'm at. So I am in Columbus. <laughs> I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Ohio. <laughs> yeah, that's my neighbors. Um, so I actually went to the Ohio State University. I actually started up as a political science major. Started working at the police department. Um, when I was 19 years old and um, worked there as a part-time dispatcher and a part-time officer and just loved it. My dad's an officer too, so I already kind of had that draw to the field and um, I don't know how I didn't scare them away from hiring me, but I didn't. So I got hired on full-time when I graduated and worked as a full-time dispatcher for six years uh, for the House State University of Public Safety and then for eight years as a supervisor. And then I began doing the training, the train, the trainer, all the things. We were severely understaffed, as is normal, it seems. And so um, I guess the good thing with a smaller department like that, that does have a little bit of money, is that I could do all the things. So um, I took on a lot, probably more than I should have now let me back. Um, And so I got pregnant with my son in 2010. Again, you don't recognize the things that are happening to your body that are maybe not as normal pieces of pregnancy. So you just assume things are just, okay, something's weird, you know, like that'll go away. Um, Somehow got rid of heartburn for two years after I had my kid too, which was kind of nice. But um, about 2012, I was like, you know, it feels like I've had, this is so, and and this is me getting over it. So this is me throwing myself in the deep end because I'm still embarrassed by this. Um, I thought I had a urinary tract infection for like two years. You know, I was like, something is not right. I can't shake this, I can't get rid of it. I was abused as a child, so I always had issues with urinary tract infections and um, that's a whole nother background there. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I finally went to the doctor and couldn't answer the right questions, you know, so he sent me to a specialist, then he sent me to a specialist, then he sent me to a specialist. I ended up at the Cleveland Clinic um, because things just kind of kept deteriorating. Um, I actually, at one point at work, one evening, I was literally on my knees in the dispatch center trying to type in a run and like over my keyboard and I was like, I can't, I have to go, someone has to take me. And my officers took me to the emergency room and I was in such bad shape. I was there for three days. They had me on IV fluids. My white cell counts were out of control. They thought I had cancer at one point. Um, But it turns out I have interstitial cystitis. So interstitial cystitis is a disease where your bladder does not grow the lining that it needs to protect itself from self. So um, it's constantly thinks that it's under attack. Um, it swells almost as if like a, like a like allergic reaction would. So I look like I'm pregnant um, a lot of the times mm-hmm. when I am having a reaction. Um, but then it also can contract when I'm not ready for it to contract. So I have problems like I had to give up sports and sports. I, I played sports through college. 
you know, I was recruited for school to play soccer. So to have to give that up, that was huge. That was an outlet for me. I got to hit other people. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic, by the way. Got <laughs> to hit other people. Yeah, exactly. That that vestibular stimulation. I needed that to actually like fight people. I am a fighter. It's really bad. That's that Latin blood in me, you know. Like, <laughs> And uh, that's completing the stress cycle, oh right? <laughs> so yoga, I ended up actually doing yoga too, but even yoga would be bad some days because it, the leaking would be incredible. And I finally, I found an amazing doctor with the Cleveland Clinic and God bless him because he still works with me because I'm, I'm pretty young as far as the diagnosis age. Like every time mm -hmm. I go to the office, it's me and like 50 and 60 year olds. When mm -hmm. I was diagnosed, I was in my late 20s. So I mean, that was horrendously depressing. And um, ended up going for the elective surgery so I wouldn't pee myself. <laughs> like if I ever like sneezed, coughed, not only that, went upstairs too fast or even pretended like I could play soccer or do you, you have a small child, especially one like mine who's like a little crackhead, you can't stop moving, you know? And I'm like, I'm sitting here wetting my pants along with my two-year-old, this is cool, right? Um, so we kind of managed to, we did the elective bladder sling surgery and it did help for a little bit. Um, but again, these are all patches. Interstitial cystitis is actually considered a fairly newly diagnosed disease. So they're still learning as we're going along. I'm actually on cancer treatment drugs um, because they don't quite know what else to do. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I guess the bonus of that is my hair is usually really thick <laughs> and I have broke nails and everything really fast because it helps you regrow your cells. Um, so they're trying to recreate that lining in my bladder. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the bad part of it is it makes you very sick. And, um, and of course the trigger for any flare you have is stress. Mm -hmm. When I started seeing my specialist um, at the Cleveland Clinic, he asked me what I did for work. And I told him, because you gotta quit. I'm sorry, yeah. it's time to leave. And I can't imagine doing anything different. You know, I'm one of those weirdos who loves their job. I don't wanna leave what I do. So, um, so we kind of persevered a little bit through that. Um, within the last two years, I've actually received my secondary diagnosis of fibromyalgia. Um, so I started noticing I was kind of getting a little stiff in the morning and I thought, oh, it's the IC is evolving. It's becoming more of a problem. And my sides started hurting my back, my shoulders, my knees, my Achilles is the thing. Again, I was finally being able to get back to soccer and do yoga. And then my Achilles locked up. And I was like, I am shuffling like a penguin for the first hour or two. I'm awake every day. And so, as you know, there, or you might not know, there is no way to directly test for fibromyalgia. It's a process of elimination. So it was about a whole another two years before they were like, all right, so let you get, get you on this regimen now too. So it's this balance of pharmaceuticals, yoga, walking, running, like trying to get back into the soccer a little more. I'm honestly still a little nervous. It makes me nervous just because of how bad it was for me for a while. It's like, I literally, this is too much. I know I had pee like running down my leg at one point. And I was like, I can never do this again ever. This is horrifying. Um, and so I'm trying to be better and get back out there now that I've had the surgery, now that we have the medication, because I'm not going to have skin better if I don't get back out there and try it. So, um, but yeah, so that's where we're at now. Um, the anxiety, depression, it comes with it, you know, and it's hard. All these things that you expect out of life that you now can't do. It's like you constantly have to remind yourself like, okay, that's my plan and that's fine. Mm -hmm. Kind of pivoting a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. 
yeah, it's uh, the days that are bad where it's really painful between the fibro, between the other part of the bladder is when it does contract, it pushes urine back up in your kidneys. So my kidney function is not fabulous either. And so again, trying to push water and be good <laughs> and um, take care of yourself in every way you can just to get around this level. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm glad everything's <laughs> not easy, but it, <laughs> I was told if you use a straw, it actually makes you more likely to drink water. Yes, it's true. Yeah. So I've been trying to be good and incorporate my little metal straws too. So, so anyway, that's my, my before I, uh, into uh, my chronic illness world there. So I'm happy to answer anything else as it comes up later on. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing, John. I mean, I, it's really, it's really um, crappy to be told that you have to quit something you love because your body is, is giving you information that you don't necessarily know what to do with. And you don't know what your body is asking you for, right? You don't know necessarily what it needs to keep going so that you can live the life that you want to live and do the things yeah. that you want to do. And, um, and just quitting a crazy stressful job. That isn't really an option. Yeah. It isn't really an option. I, I was at, when I started working with my own functional health practitioner in 2016, I was a juvenile probation officer for Hamilton County, which houses Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was basically told to quit my job because it was too stressful. And I was like, I, one, I can't afford to quit my job. Two, I love what I do. So that's not really an option. Can you help me work around that? And he did, and he was wonderful. And I'm, I credit him and the work that we did together is really saving my own life. So um, you can, I think that's my point is like, um, there is hope because I see Heidi, you put that comment in there, just, just quit. Like that's not a, that's not an option. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is hope that when you understand what your body, the information your body is giving you, when you understand what it needs and what it's asking you for, you can repair, you can support, and you can continue um, to heal and to live the life that you want to live. And yes, yeah, some changes probably need to be made because we don't just get sick. Like, you right. know, we don't, we're not born typically sick, right? And so it takes time to get super sick and it takes time to get super well. So, um, but yeah, I, um, I just really kind of picked up on that, that being told to quit is really frustrating. And then the anxiety and depression that comes with a chronic illness, that is very real. And when, when you, and the frustration and the disappointment and all of the emotion that comes with not being able to do the things you love, like soccer, you know, like you're an athlete and you're being told you have to stop being an athlete because your body is not doing something that it needs to be doing. And so it's compromising and Western medicine doesn't have the answers for you. So while well, you just have to quit again, you just have to quit. Like that's not fair. Right. And life happens on life's terms for sure hands down there's no there's no doubt about that but just to, to to peel back those layers and get back to a place of like hope when you are in that place of sadness and um depression or discouragement it's um it's a it's a it's a journey it's a choice too like you have to choose to make some changes um for sure so thank you for sharing jana i just so appreciate you and your your vibrance. Um, 
All right, Miss Dominique, saving the best for last. Not that you're not all awesome, because you are, but uh, <laughs> to have you introduce yourself and, and hear more about who you are and um, your journey um, to where you are today and, and what's happened in your health space. Absolutely. So good afternoon, everybody. I'm so glad you tuned in. Um, our health is truly our wealth. Um, I uh, started dispatching January 10, 2005 um, in a jurisdiction in Central Virginia. And uh, prior to that, years before in the late 90s, I started having some issues where I was like exhausted. Um, I felt like my legs would try to give out periodically. It wouldn't make sense. We went to a specialist. They drew some lab work. Um, and in the late 90s, they said, hey, um, we know that you have a high ANA, which is an anti-nuclear antibody, which is an indicator that you will probably have some sort of autoimmune disease, but we don't know what it is yet. So your diagnosis for now is undifferentiated connective tissue disorder, whatever cool. that means. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, bro. Right. <laughs> so fast forward um, several years later, um, I'm dispatching, um, training. Um, I was one of those people I came in in January and by June I was already released from call taking, promoted to fire dispatcher, and I was serving as a primary trainer for new hires. Like you said, John, are taking on a little bit more than we probably should have, but we don't know these things, right? If we're capable, we're able, and we're willing because we are in servant roles, um, we do what we need to do. Um, a few years later, 2008, I was on a trip uh, to New York um, with my son for his 13th birthday, and I had this horrible pain in my elbow, and I knew, like, I hadn't hit my elbow on anything. I hadn't done anything weird. I said, this is probably linking back to the connective tissue disorder. Let me go back to see the specialist. And um, that trip was over the summer in July. And in September, I was officially diagnosed with lupus. Um, the deal with autoimmune diseases is a lot of times when you have those high ANAs, um, they tell you we need a series of symptoms to kind of connect before we can give you a full diagnosis. And that was the place that I had finally reached um, where um, the labs added up, the symptoms added up, you know, and they could see that the, the disease has now progressed into um, systemic lupus, uh, minus systemic lupus nephritis, which means that it attacks my kidneys primarily. I mean, it affects my entire body, but the kidney is the main, the kidneys are the main uh, source of attack. Um, in the earlier phases of my diagnosis, um, it, it's a large learning curve mm -hmm. because somebody tells you you have a chronic illness and you don't know what to expect. Um, I was working through flare-ups that I should have been hospitalized for. Um, I would go to work at night, my hands, my wrists, everything would be swollen. I'm typing, I'm working 12 hours, I'm working sometimes 16 hours because we needed overtime coverage and so forth. Um, and thank God for my one radio partner who had magic hands. And so in between calls, she would try to massage me enough that I could type some more. Um, just really not being knowledgeable that I was in a full-blown lupus flare-up. Um, 
but this is where I learned something critical. And that is you have to establish a really strong relationship and communication with your doctor. Um, mm -hmm. Being a part, being an active part of your care plan is how you gain success in managing um, chronic illness. So once I became educated and understood how to listen to my body, know when those little small twinges are the, the, the early indicators that it's time to um, rest, it's mm -hmm. time to maybe have I been hydrating properly, um, maybe it's time to adjust the anti-inflammatory drugs. So I take prednisone every day of my life, which is a steroid. Um, but I'm on a micro dose. But when I'm in the midst of a flare up, if I feel it coming, my doctors have taught me how to elevate or increase those doses um, to keep it managed. Um, but I'll tell you, even with that education, um, I too had the doctor tell me, you probably need to quit this job is not the right combination for you, um, given the fact that you have lupus. I also have Hashimoto's. I also am anemic, severely anemic to the point that I've had iron infusions um, before. Mm -hmm. I do take chemotherapy medication uh, every mm -hmm. week. Um, I give myself injections every week. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot to living um, with lupus and living with a chronic illness. And um, even knowing that and even hearing the doctor tell me the things that I needed to do to manage and mitigate, um, because I was in this role as a public servant, um, sometimes I wasn't, I was, I was hearing my body, but I was ignoring it um, because, hey, we need coverage today. Hey, we need you to come in on your day off. Hey, we need you to stay a little late. Hey, we really need you to do so forth and so on. And I'll tell you just one story um, because I don't want this to happen to anybody else on this mm -hmm. call. Um, I remember calling in one day, I felt terrible. Um, and it just so happened, I work night shift. Um, you had to call out by five o'clock and just before five o'clock, it began to snow. Mm -hmm. And you all know, calling out during a snowstorm is like a, a federal offense, right? <laughs> what? Um, I'm like, I'm not calling out because it's snowing. I'm calling out because I'm not well. And mm -hmm. of course I got the, well, you're going to need a doctor's note and so forth and so on. So I said, fine, I have a doctor's note. Went to get, you know, to the doctor to give me all of these medications. I'm on an inhaler, everything. But because of the guilt that was placed upon me in that moment, I went to work the next day. Mm-hmm. And I remember climbing, trying to climb the stairs um, from the parking garage to the dispatch center. And by the time I hit the top of the stairs, I literally could not breathe. Mm -hmm. And they kept saying, oh, you should go home. You should go home. I was like, it's no way I'm going home. You already made a big deal about me being out yesterday. Mm -hmm. I'm here now. Just leave me alone. Let me put on my headset and do my job. Mm -hmm. um, by the time I made it home that day, it was a Friday evening. Um, I was so sick that I never made it upstairs to my bedroom for the weekend. I ended up sleeping mm -hmm. on the couch for two days. Monday, I went to the hospital. I, I was going to go to the doctor's office, but it was so hard to get dressed that I said, I'm not going to the doctor's office. I'm going straight to the emergency room. And when I did, 
um, I was getting my vital signs taken and a physician came darting from the back, I guess, because they have the monitor on the screen in the back room. And she said, where's this patient? My vital signs were so off the rails. Hmm. They kept saying, how did you get here? And I said, I drove. They were like, who drove you? I said, no, I drove. They were like, <laughs> no. They rushed me to room one in the emergency room, which is really reserved for trauma in most critical patients, right? Mm-hmm. I ended up being diagnosed with bilateral pneumonia, wow. packed ice for a week, packed in ice for a week, wow. hospitalized, finally get discharged, and I ended up out of work for six weeks mm-hmm. trying to recover because mm-hmm. when your body is attacked, when you have an autoimmune disease, you are immunocompromised. So the common cold could take you down. Mm-hmm. The fact is, is that I had a cold. It was developing into pneumonia. Mm-hmm. I didn't stay home, take time to rest, let the medication or the steroids that they had given me kick mm-hmm. in. And I ended up hospitalized and then out of work for six weeks. Mm-hmm. So my point that I want to leave with everybody today is we work, our job requires us to prioritize incidents every single day, multiple times a day. We decide who gets help hurt first and what resources they get. Mm-hmm. My charge to you is know when it's time to prioritize your mm-hmm. health. Mm-hmm. You make this decision every day for other people. We have to get to a place where we're comfortable making that decision for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And particular to the leadership who is listening right now, mm-hmm. please also listen to your employees when they're telling you, hey, I, you know, I'm not feeling well, or you, they do disclose to you that they have an illness and, you know, you're not helping to advocate for them, making mm-hmm. sure that they get appropriate break time, mm-hmm. uh, maximizing the number of days that you're allowing them to sign up for overtime or, or be contacted to come in for overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, because we do carry that burden of, mm-hmm. Well, if they call in, they must really need help. Or if they've called and you say, no, I can't come in, and they call you back an hour later and say, please, nobody will come. 99% of the women on this call are going to go. We're going to go. Yes. And so we cannot allow that to continue to be the Mm -hmm. the way. We as as leadership and as co-workers in the space, we need to be looking at how well we're taking care of ourselves and how well we're taking care of each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, such words of wisdom. And thank you so much, Dominique, for sharing your story. And um, there's a lot of power in that, the story of you being in the hospital and being um, where your body was so compromised to the point where you could not physically move forward. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, like just, Ricardo, what you just said, if you don't listen to your body, your body will make you listen That's right. <laughs> and it will compromise you to the point where you can't do what you love anymore. And mm-hmm. um, I'm loving all these comments on the side. This is great. Um, and yeah, you, you said a couple things that really kind of struck with me. Um, the first thing I wanted to touch on is being an active part of your care plan mm-hmm. um, and how, you know, that was one of the things as we were prepping for this this empower panel, we were talking about the importance of advocating for yourself 
And that when you advocate for yourself, that can create disruption for other people mm -hmm. and how that's their responsibility. It's not yours. Right. Um, your responsibility is to take care of the container that you have that you live in 24 seven, 365. And that facilitates you to be able to do what you love to do. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't take care of your container, if you don't advocate for yourself, then you end up and you end up being compromised. And then it, because of that, you can potentially compromise others because of the nature of the work we do. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, when you said advocate, becoming an active part of your care plan, that's so important. And um, there was another comment in here about um, the natural Western philosophy of just like putting pharmaceuticals into it. And, mm -hmm. you know, what I do now, I am a functional health practitioner and I take my experience in the in the field and being uh, law enforcement and dispatching. And um, before that, I was a therapist. So I use it all. I use all my experience to help people um, on the front lines, like move forward and heal in their own journey. But um, in that whole process, um, crap, I totally lost my train of thought. Western medicine, thank you. Yes. <laughs> That's what it was. Thank you. Yes. Oh, I love having people <laughs> behind you that have your back. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Western medicine, you know, bless them. They, you know, if I, like Dominique, just like you were saying, you had pneumonia, your, your body was in crisis. It was in acute critical crisis mode like you were not going to be okay you needed those experts right and i use this analogy or this kind of this analogy a lot in um my trainings that i do but it's when you um so the western medicine is kind of like firefighters right right you know um when your house is on fire you call 911 we send out the we tell the firefighters where to go and um they show up with their resources right because you don't have the training, the skills, the equipment, the knowledge to put your own fire out, right? Mm -hmm. You need the experts to do that. And so Western medicine is really kind of like that, where yes. the um, they are trained in a very specific way to um, to handle the crisis, right? And But they're mm -hmm. really, you know, just like firefighters, those firefighters do not prevent your fire. That's and right. as much as we may want them to, because some of them are still really hot, um, we may want them to stick around <laughs> after the fact to help you clean up. But they don't do that. Mm -mm. <laughs> I, I can speak to that actually quite a bit because part of being an active part of my care plan was understanding that the drugs that are used to treat lupus are harsh chemicals. And um, to me, that was not an option. I was a person who if my eye, I had to be holding my eye in my hand to take a Tylenol, right? I just, I didn't believe in pumping <laughs> medication into my body. Yeah. So learning about how mm -hmm. to change my diet, mm -hmm. um, how to put in more anti-inflammatory foods, mm -hmm. spices, um, the importance of hydration, um, eliminating dairy, mm -hmm. um, all of these things um, diet-wise, I started to make my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, the other part, a major change that I made was learning how many harsh chemicals are in our everyday products, mm -hmm. our um, yes. lotions and soaps yes. and shampoos and hair dye and all of that. Yes. Um, and that actually sent me on my natural hair journey. I used to, yeah. uh, you know, relax and color my hair. 
all the time. And I said, well, these are the things that I can eliminate yes. uh, that are exacerbating or adding to yes. my problem. Um, yes. I still need the Western medicine. Yes. But if I couple that with some natural changes um, and reduce the amount of toxins and poisons that I'm putting mm-hmm. in my body, then I'm giving myself a better chance and a more fighting chance um, mm-hmm. to have some longevity in this lupus journey. Um, yes. And so now I use only all natural everything, uh, mm-hmm. no deodorants with um, metals or aluminums and so forth. Yes. Um, you know, coconut, uh, shea butter or um, coconut oil only to yes. moisturize my skin. Yes. There are a lot of things that we could be doing um, mm-hmm. even before you're diagnosed yes. with an illness. Let me make sure yes. that I'm making sure that this is getting to everyone. Eliminate those things from your from your life that that only hurt you because they are healthier yeah. alternatives. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So Absolutely. I think that's an important takeaway for everyone here. Don't wait till you're diagnosed with something that you can't get rid of. You can do things that make you healthier and more stress resilient. Yes. Um, just yeah. right now in your yes. in your everyday life. Yes. Absolutely. So a, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Sarah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're fine. <laughs> go ahead. I I was gonna ask um everyone a question because each one of you were told to quit, right? Mm-hmm. And we saw in the comments that that is a, is a theme, a common theme. None of y'all quit. <laughs> so um, what did you do? I did, but not because of that. Well, yeah, <laughs> yes, right. You're still, you're still going, whoa. Pull my laptop down. Um, what, what, what do you do? What did you do in your center to um, allow you to keep working even though they told you to quit and did you run into any pushback from anyone in your center because of the changes that you had to make so yeah (laughs) definitely had pushback um we 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 happened to be redesigning our center right when i was just initially diagnosed um between the ic and the fibro actually um not knowing what the fibro was then so we incorporated the sit-stand desks. Like you see, I'm sure anybody who sits beside me or behind me, you know, in a class, they probably think I have like Tourette's or some kind of something where I cannot sit still or hold still, which I do have ADHD, but I can't hold still. And I'm sure I'm a distraction, but um, it hurts. It hurts to sit still. So I have to keep moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so asking for that sit-stand was great. I know how to do chair yoga very well. I can teach chair yoga. I started doing my own yoga instruction and, you know, kind of informing my coworkers around me because I, I tend to overshare with them or I did at the time. Mm-hmm. So they knew like why I was being so fidgety or why I could not hold still or while I was mm-hmm. pacing the room. Um, like I'm not trying to distract you. I just, I need this for me. You can join me. Right. You can join me if you'd like, that'd be great. You know, and the then- advocating for yourself. Yes. I need to do this for me. Mm-hmm. You can join me. Mm-hmm. And I'm still going to do it, even if it makes you uncomfortable, because your discomfort is your responsibility, not mine. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And so, yeah, kind of as being as transparent as I could without, like I said, kind of getting to that embarrassing point, because I still have some embarrassment with it, actually, the yeah. full effects of everything. Um, but just so they understood why all of a sudden I was on a diet, why all of a sudden I was having to go to the bathroom a lot, because you can't really hold it when you, you know, have IC. I mean, you don't even know what causes IC, probably holding mm-hmm. it. 
mom, in fact, probably doesn't help. So um, they're a little more forgiving when I was like, I've got to go now, like right now. So you're back. You're on your own. <laughs> so that transparency really did help in the end, even though it was a little bit of a hurdle to get over as far as like my ego and my embarrassment. Yeah, you said overshare, but it's not. That's what, you know, it, it's not really overshare. It's just letting them know what's going on. But that's how we're trying, you know, that's how we feel. Like, oh, I'm, I'm sharing too much. But you're living in the space with your coworkers and doing very, very important work. And it's so important that we all understand each other. And instead of judging, um, as Sarah put it, to become curious as to well, why, why do you, why do you have a stand-up desk and I don't, or or whatever the case may be. Yep, and it really comes back to that whole advocating for yourself and being a part of your own care plan, right? And mm -hmm. being, um, you know, when you when you shift, when you make that mental shift to to putting your body as a priority. Um, you know, it's becoming more acceptable to put your mind and your emotional state as a priority, right? So we're talking a lot about in the community about trauma and mm -hmm. the mental and emotional resources that are out there. And we need to continue this conversation about putting our body and our health, our physical health into kind of that prioritized space. And when you do that and you shift your mindset into, I'm going to do this for me, because this is what I need to do. It isn't about you. It isn't, it, it's not a dig on you. It isn't about what you are, or what you aren't saying and what you are, or what you aren't doing. This is about me taking care of myself so that I can actually show up to work so that I can be here and be fully present and active in the, in, in the, the importance of this position. And uh, yeah, and getting curious. And so some of the, one of the other things, and I know we're coming close to the end of, of with time, so I want to be um, honor and respect uh, that timeline. And we are going to continue this conversation next month. So I'm really excited. We're going to, um, I said next month, we're going to talk probably a little bit more in depth about what you ladies have done um, to be successful in, in your health journey and where you're at today. And um, we'll, I'll spend some time because um, what I, what I do every day now is work in this health space, in this physical health space. Um, Heidi, me too. I would love to connect with you, by the way. By the way, <laughs> um, I would love to connect with all of you, actually, because this is, I love talking about this. Um, it's so, so important to, um, you know, bring attention and intentionality to our physical health because you are your body. And you, this is the container that you live in 24 seven, 365. And when your container is hurting and broken, it's incredibly difficult to be present, to show up, to do this work. Um, and so next month, I think we're gonna unpack, I'm gonna do a little bit of kind of information sharing, education around um, what I like to call hidden stressors. And we, you, you ladies have already all touched on these. So when I say hidden, um, I'm referring to, it's an acronym because everything's an acronym, right? So hormones, immune system, digestion, detoxification, energy production, and neurological functions. So mm. hidden um, stressors. So when we have stressors in any one of those vital functions um, that are hiding, right? Because um, like mold, Lyme, parasites, candida, um, all of those types of hidden stressors mm. um, can hijack your immune system yes. and um, Hashimoto's is probably the most 
diagnosed thing that comes across my path because it's related to your thyroid. Mm -hmm. Well, your thyroid is the canary in the coal mine. Yeah. And so if your thyroid's off, that means it's not actually your thyroid that's broken most of the time. It's farther upstream that's causing your thyroid to be stressed. Mm -hmm. And so if you just deal with the thyroid, if you just like medicate the thyroid, sometimes you need to do that and you don't actually deal with the thing that's causing the stress in the, the, the dysfunction, um, you're only going to continue to go down this, um, down this hill um, and it's, it, it gets yucky with more and more diagnosis and, and things of that nature. So next month we're gonna dig into hidden stressors a little bit more and talk a little bit more about some actual real practical things that you can do in the radio room um, mm -hmm. to help support your physical health and um, how to advocate for yourself um, and do it in a way that honors the system that you work for, honors your um, colleagues and honors yourself. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, and I do see that we're at four, well, four o'clock Eastern because I'm in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Donna, you and I totally have to be friends in real life. We have to make that happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I want to leave you guys with some resources here and now, and then I'll let Sarah kind of wrap it, wrap it, wrap us up. But um, oh, Emily, I know you're in um, Troy, I believe, um, which is so fun. We should just have like a nine one Wonder Woman party in Ohio because Ohio is so big. Um, that would be. We just should make that happen. Um, Do that at my parents' house. Columbus, yes. Erica's in Columbus. I should, I'll just have a big party at my house. I mean, I'm in Cincinnati, so it's not like the most central location. Um, Heidi, you should come down to you. I'll be out in Minnesota in um, November doing a training. So I'll, you, let's just take it. Anyways, I have to stop responding to the chats. Um, it's so hard. Okay. So a couple resources for you. Um, shout out to Ricardo in the chat. We are actually going to be talking tomorrow at noon Eastern um, about this stuff in a little bit more depth. So we're going to be talking about kind of trauma and the body and how the body keeps the score and how to how there really is this connection between the mind and the body, um, whether we want it to be there or not. It's all one container. So we're going to be having a really like lively discussion, I'm sure, because Ricardo and I have lively discussions. Um, so definitely check that out if you're able to. Um, and we can connect in that space. Um, also, I'm going to link in the chat here um, the health survey that I put together um, that I would love for you guys to, to, to do. Um, and Sarah, I'll kind of leave that for your kind of pushing out to the community, however you do that. Anybody and everybody can take this survey. It's just a, a way to kind of prep for this next um, month and to hear from you guys in the community because you guys are who matter. Um, so there's that. And then also, um, I have recently launched a health and wellness app for first responders. Um, it, I label it for helpers because it isn't just first responders, but it's mostly driven to support you guys in the community. So um, you can check that out. It's, it is $15 a month, but you have direct access to me where you have, you can anonymously ask me your questions and I'll respond in a group setting. So nobody knows where the question came from. I'm just putting information out into the community. You'll get a discount on supplements, and then I'll also give you some direction on some good, healthy supplements. And then you can have my ramblings, which I called my blog. That's not published, so um, it's a it's a resource for you guys out there. And then I'm I'm developing it more and more, putting more and more content out there. Um, and so uh, that's also I would love to have you guys in that community. And you know, 
I do one-on-one -on -one health coaching, but it's not always feasible for, um, and not everybody's ready to do that kind of work where it's like, we're digging in, we're running labs, we're figuring out what's actually going on in your body. And it's not exactly cheap to work with me one-on-one. -on -one. And so um, it's worth it, I think, obviously. Um, but it's not exactly something that everyone is in a place to do. But this um, this app, um, this health and wellness app, it's called Phoenix Vitality, is a really great place for you guys um, to start moving forward in your health journey, to take an action step um, and uh, start, um, you know, kind of heading off some of that before it gets to a chronic illness, before you get to a diagnosis or, you know, if you have a diagnosis, what do you do now? Um, so some next steps in the um, natural health space. So um, I will put my my uh, website info in the chat and then reach out to me. I love connecting with each and every one of you. And I love hearing your stories. Um, I have my own story too. So I love to um, to use my story to um, empower you to, to do things like advocate for yourself and make good, healthy decisions for your body. So um, I'm a resource and I can't wait for next month. We're going to have a blast and then check out tomorrow um, with within the trenches. So I think that's what I've got. Back to you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. Sarah. In my computer. Thank you. No, wait, this way. <laughs> so confusing. Anyway, thank you so much. Um, I want to end with kind of one final question uh, for Mary before we go. So, Mary, you you've made it through. You've had a you've had a long career. You've made it to retirement. It's it's time to figure you out. Do you have, um, related to this topic, is there one piece of advice that helped you the most or one lesson that you learned the hard way that you want to share with us um, related to your health journey in dispatch? Or do you want to think about this it and come be, back next time? Well, it's, <laughs> there is one thing that really, really helped me. And it's going to be one of those things that everybody knows it and we put it off, but just simply going for a walk. Mm -hmm. I, that was so huge when I finally, you know, I knew. And at one point I ran, obviously I don't run now. You can, you know, but I started when the depression hit so hard and I was trying mm -hmm. to recover from COVID and I just didn't want to move. I made myself go out and just walk around the block just one mm -hmm. time. And then I did it again. And I did it again. And I got to the point where I was doing about three miles uh, <sighs> on my days off, on my work days. I didn't always go on my work days, but I probably put in around 10 to 12 miles a week. And I got to the point where that made such a difference. And I, I think logically I knew it would, but I just mm -hmm. didn't want to make myself do it. And mm -hmm. finally, when I made myself do it, for me, adding podcasts in, oddly enough, yes. the podcast, yes. I wouldn't let myself listen to the next episode unless I was taking a walk. Yes. Of course, so the murder mysteries, of course, you know, <laughs> I, I started with murder in Oregon because it was a familiar. That's fine. I knew people that had been involved in the situation. Oh, my God. And, and I was just like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know all these things. I didn't know because it had happened right before my career had started. And so peripherally I worked with several officers that had responded on the call and I'd heard all the stories but to hear it actually laid out it it, it just kept me fascinated 
and I wanted to walk. And it was, they were about 40 minutes each. So I'd get a 40 minute walk. In. Nice. And that's awesome. I kept, you know, just finding different podcasts that would keep me going. And again, I would not allow myself to listen to them at any other time other than when I walked. And I was so excited to hear the next one that got me into the habit. So great. So that was, that was, was such a great piece of advice. Thank you. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. And thank you to Mary, Jada, and Dominique and Sarah. We will see you next month. Any questions you want us to answer on the next one, I'll be putting up a, a post in the Facebook group. So thank you all so much. Take care of yourselves and, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, thank everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye.